as a nutritionist, we are trying to uh, find uh, the tools or solutions from the diets, through the diets, how we can uh, help the intestinal health status so the pigs can handle uh, better uh, from the stressors of weaning so they can grow better. Did you know that the pig's microbiota has more than 400 species of fungi and bacteria, yielding approximately 10 times more cells than those in the pig's body? These microbes are at the nexus of health and productivity as they communicate with each other and with the pig's organs and systems. Filio, by Lasoff, is committed to pushing the boundaries of animal health and nutrition and well-being to better nourish and feed our world. United with our partners, we are key influencers in the quest to discover, define, and manipulate the pig's microbiome to significantly improve pig lifetime health and productivity. This podcast series is provided to help increase your understanding of these exciting and thought-provoking topics. Welcome to today's Filio Pig Microbiome Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Lockmiller, Senior Swine Technical Services Manager for North America. Thank you for joining us today for this discussion of new frontiers in the pig microbiome, physiology, and well-being. Welcome, everyone, today. I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Sung-Woo Kim from North Carolina State University, who has been doing some interesting research over the past several years related to the pig microbiome and to biomarkers within the intestinal um, mucosal microbiome, which will be our focus today. So, Dr. Kim, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Joe Lofmiller. It's very good to see you here again. And thank you for providing me this opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you. Would you take just a moment and and give a brief background of maybe uh, where you've been and what your research interests are um, there at North Carolina State? And from there, then maybe we can go into some of the work that you've been doing and, and a discussion about some of those interesting topics that you've been working on. Okay, yep. So as uh, just introduced, I'm Sungwoo Kim. I'm working here at uh, North Carolina State University as a, a swine nutritionist. My job is related to uh, research and teaching, and the research is my primary responsibility, 70%, and teaching is 30%, but I teach uh, animal nutrition for undergraduate students, but also uh, advanced swine nutrition and protein and amino acid metabolism for graduate students. So that's how uh, I do here at NC State. Um, for, uh, for the research, uh, I am hired to um, help the producers uh, here and also um, domestically or internationally uh, for the swine production uh, using uh, the approach of uh, nutrition. Uh, so I have been uh, working on um, trying to understand uh, how we can uh, help the uh, pigs when they are weaned because that's that's the time when they uh, have increased stress. The stress comes from uh, many different um, places, but including this, uh, the stressors comes comes from the diet, but also from the environment. And we often see that the pigs after weaning, they um, refuse eating or they they uh, have a reduced feed intake. And 
and also they don't grow. And so our research was uh, trying to understand uh, what happens to them uh, uh, after weaning, especially related to what happens to uh, the bar, uh, in, in the intestine, um, especially the small intestine, and how is that related to uh, their uh, growth performance. And um, as a nutritionist, we are trying to uh, find uh, the tools or solutions from the diets through the diet, how we can uh, help the intestinal health status so the pigs can handle uh, better uh, from the stressors of weaning so they can grow better. So that, that has been uh, uh, my research uh, focus during the last uh, years. Okay. Well, very good. Well, that's uh, that's really pretty interesting. And one of the reasons that it's interesting for us and for our audience is this idea that you've put forward, and I think it's really meaningful, of that focusing on intestinal health and focusing on the microbiome is it has a, obviously has a direct relationship to growth performance, as, as other speakers have alluded to. But in addition to that, you have focused on um, more of the, the small intestine and the microbiome in the jejunum in particular, which is the largest component of the small intestine. And when you've looked at that, um, you look at the jejunum, you look at specific components of the jejunal microbiota in the, in the mucosa, right next there in, the, in that brush border membrane of the, of the small intestine, rather than just in the general lumen. And then also, it, it had some significant differences relative to the microbiota that you find in the cecum or the colon of a pig. And so, as you've looked at that, one of the things that was interesting to me is, is that you've, and maybe you can go into a little bit of detail about the work that you've done on that, the meta-analysis and, and the components of that meta-analysis. And then maybe now your your current work is as you're trying to take that and say, okay, how does that apply to finding biomarkers that are, because we can't, it's not easy to sample the, in, you know, the microbiota in the small intestine. It's very, very difficult and usually results in, in the death of the pig. So, so the the quest for biomarkers that are indicators of health, and so maybe let's just start there. Let's start with where your interest came about looking at the jejunum microbiota, the meta analysis, and then now into biomarkers. Okay, uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, thank you for all those comments and uh, very interesting question to me, also challenging question to me. Uh, so when when I when we started. Uh, to try to understand what happens in the intestine. I looked at uh, um, what we know already. So I looked at uh, papers published by other people. Um, a lot of good research was done uh, trying to understand intestinal health. And I found out uh, the large portion of that uh, was related to what happens in the large intestine, like a uh, colon. Um, especially when it's related to human health, and most of research was focused on the colon colon health related to uh, the colon cancer and so on. Um, but when I think about okay, how I, how we can uh, translate this knowledge to nursery pigs? They are very young, very very young uh, age, and 
Um, we even don't expect a lot of things going uh, will be happening in the large intestine because their GI tract is not uh, fully adapted to uh, this mature environment. Uh, I mean, feed. Uh, but instead, um, I I thought that uh, uh, what we need to look at is the small intestine because that's where uh, those pigs will receive all the stressors like from the diet, including um, those allergenic proteins or uh, other anti-nutritional compound or even like pathogens or a tox toxigenic compound from the diets will, will all goes to the small intestine, that's where they spend uh, most time. And then uh, there will be, that's very long part of the small intestine. And so there is a large opportunity for them to interact. So uh, I'm thinking that uh, we have to look at what happens uh, in the jejunum of the of the GI tract, because that's the that's where uh, the pigs will get all most of uh, stress. So that's how I started um, to looking at what happens in the jejunum. And when we um, also, okay, I think it's more uh, very recent interest that uh, we have. Uh, we know that there are uh, uh, lots of bacteria um, staying in the GI tract, right? So majority of them are associated with the digester, huh? and uh, we call them luminal microbiota. In a fancy word, it's luminal microbiota, but those are bacteria uh, attached to the the feed particles, basically. So they are they're doing a lot of uh, digestion, helping the digestion by for them releasing uh, the enzymes to break down fibers or protein or carbohydrates or lipids, and so that they can survive. But at the same time, they can give some benefit to the host animal. Um, there is another group of bacteria. Uh, they are more close to the um, epithelium of the intestine. Um, and basically, they are not actually attached, not necessarily attached to the epithelial cells, but they are kind of uh, get very closely located to the epithelium of the uh, intestine. So we call them the mucosa-associated microbiota. More likely, they are physically attached to the mucosa layer and then even mucosa of the small intestine. So we call them mucosa-associated microbiota. But they may have a different role, even though they will do same thing. They will secrete the enzymes uh, to digest some substrate, so so they can obtain the nutrients from them but also uh they have a very direct interaction uh we call the crosstalk they have a direct interaction communication with uh, uh the epithelial cells lining the small intestine so there are a lot of immune cells also at the in the gut epithelium they will react to the microbiota associated with uh, to, to the the mucosa so uh, we're thinking that uh, maybe looking at the changes of bacteria, their population or uh, diversity, um, and that will pro probably will tell us more um, about their impact on the intestinal health. So that's why we started looking at uh, the mucosa-associated uh, microbiota in the jejunum of the pigs of the nursery pigs after we after they are uh, after they are weaned so that's that's the um, big uh, picture of what i'm trying to do um, so looking at the changes of mucosa associated microbiota and their uh, relationship with 
intestinal health, especially in the genome, and then how those are related to um, the outcome, which are the uh, feed intake or the growth of nursery pigs. So we are, our research is trying to understand the relationship, um, direct or indirect relationship among those microbiota, intestine, and then the growth performance of pigs. So I think that's really interesting. And um, because as I've started to familiarize myself more with this topic and there's a few questions that have come to mind and we'll get into those here in a moment. Um, as you've started into this research on the jejunum and the luminal microbiota versus the uh, mucosal microbiota, one of the one of the interesting things is so before I get into this, how big was the meta-analysis that you did? Uh, it was several um, there, there were several hundred studies, if not more than that. I'm, and I'm struggling to remember the exact number, but, okay. but there was a there was a lot of work that you went back and reviewed before you started then into developing more of your own research focus in this topic. Is that right? Yes, uh, right. So, so once once we uh, draw this uh, big plan. I, I will just say big plan for me, <laughs> maybe not really big, but uh, uh, okay. So now we had a thought, okay, I, I want to understand the uh, impact of diets or some uh, external stress, st stressors on mucosal microbiota and their relationship with the intestinal health status and then growth of nursery pigs. Once we have this, uh, the main flow, and now we studied um, the individual projects. Those projects were um, may have a very different topics, though. So sometimes we are introducing uh, like probiotics uh, in nursery diet, and to see how uh, if uh, the specific probiotics will affect the population or diversity of microbiota and also intestinal health. And finally, growth of the pigs. And sometimes we, we use like organic acids, or sometimes we introduce prebiotics or um, uh, enzymes, especially uh, enzymes digesting uh, non starch polysaccharide. So, those are a lot of in individual studies um, trying to understand uh, how they, what they do to microbiota and intestinal health, and finally, growth of the pigs. And we started accumulating. Um, the data from individual studies. It it was for about eight years um, until now, and it was not hundred studies, but uh, it was around uh, now. It's about sixty studies that we conducted, and in from those studies, uh, we we use around three close to three thousand pigs, nursery pigs, and in all those studies, we always house them individually. I think it's very important uh, for us to keep them uh, individually uh, because we we need to know their individual feed intake so uh, so we know uh, the intake of the main effect. So that was one of the important uh, part in the designing the study. But then uh, at the end of study, we had to kill all the pig all those pigs to get the uh, mucosal uh, samples or digest uh, or uh, the 
digital tissue and so on to look at uh, to investigate all those parameters we planned but at the end of all this it's still going it's still going in, in, even this year we are still conducting uh five so far five different studies related to this topic so we're accumulating data um uh, as we go but um when we look at the outcomes from all these studies together uh, we can see that um, always in, in those studies, we always looked at uh, trying to understand uh, intestine, um, what happens to intestine, including inflammation, or as an outcome of inflammation, we also looked at oxidative damages to the digital tissue. And also as an outcome of that, we also looked at the change, morphological changes, uh, basically, uh, the structure of the villi, if they they uh, stayed uh, healthy, look nice or healthy, or or they are destroyed. Also, as an outcome of that, uh, we also look at uh, if pigs had to um, make more cells to rebuild the villi. So uh, how we do that is uh, we we look at the crypt because that's where the new enterocytes are proliferated. So we looked at the crypt the genome and see what proportion of uh, cells in the crypt are newly proliferated. And um, that's related to uh, the, the, the morphological changes in the genome. And also, um, we, we looked at different things too, how, how all those were affecting uh, digestibility, uh, ability for pigs to digest the feed. So we, we looked at ileal uh, digestibility of the key nutrients. And finally, we try to associate that with uh, the growth performance of pigs. So um, by combining, looking at all those data, uh, now we can have uh, very strong uh, correlations, basically statistical analysis. Uh, it's called, it's, now it's very uh, called this meta-analysis. We're doing that, it's fancy words, meta-analysis. But um, <laughs> by using those thousands of uh, data points, Surprisingly, we get highly, highly significant uh, equations explaining uh, the relationship between the changes of specific microorganism or bacteria and uh, their relationship to specific parameters that we measured um, to understand intestinal health status and also uh, its association with uh, the gross performance of pigs. And we, we get uh, several dozens of equations. So, so each of them uh, gives me information like, uh, okay, what, what if there is an increase in the production of specific cytokine causing inflammation, such as TNF-alpha? What if there is a 30% increase of TNF-alpha uh, in the digital mucosa? What does that mean uh, to the gross performance of pigs? That's one example. Uh, we can we have all those meaningful slopes and the equations, so we can kind of interpret what that means to uh, the outcome. Also, we have equations to understand uh, like a forty, maybe not forty, maybe twenty percent increase in uh, bifidobacteria in the digenome mucosa. How is it related to the dec decrease or changes of oxidative damages, uh, one of the oxidative damage markers in the genome? 
uh, is that meaningful or not? Uh, those are we got meaningful equations. So how how they are related and uh, quantitatively? So now we have uh, all those equations. Now what? How can you use those? I think uh, the next step we're trying to do is uh, you can use those equations, trying to make a virtual uh, virtual pick. <laughs> so. Um, it can buy by inputting, but you can input the changes. Oh, okay, the pig is influenced by diet, and they have uh, more lactobacillus or less uh, helicobacter in the jejunal mucosa, or they have 20% reduction in the production of IL-8, or 30% increase in protein carbonyls, and what does that mean to the growth, growth of the pigs? So we can have um, some um, simulation model mechanistical, mechanistically explaining the changes of uh, what happens in the intestine. So that's that's the, uh, I don't have that now, but that's the ultimate goal of all this that's work. Right. And this is continuing uh, because I don't know when it will stop, but uh, accumulating data, we get more, um, more meaningful outcomes. So uh, we are just still continuing. This podcast has been brought to you by the experts at Filio by Lasaf, one of the largest primary fermentation organizations in the world. We are driving research and nutritional innovation to support swine health using natural and sustainable methods. This is really interesting. And, and, one of the things that that struck me in the work that you were doing on the luminal microbiota and then looking at these biomarkers um, was the the difference. So to, to back up a little bit, the difference in the phylums of the luminal intestine microbiota versus the mucosal microbiota and if i rec and and then if you take that into the colon uh into the large intestine and look at it there it, it's even more different but there was a significant amount of proteobacteria in the mucosal microbiota which was different yes there was proteobacteria in the luminal microbiota and and a bit and and significantly less proteobacteria in the colonic microbiota is that uh, so for those who who may not understand what that means proteobacteria is the phylum that contains most of the pathogenic organisms in the gut a lot of, or not most of them but a lot of them that'll be your uh your salmonellas and your um your E. coli's and and uh, a number of others that and so when you talk about disrupting and the stress of weaning and disrupting the gut, um, obviously it's going to disrupt the the enterocytes and the epithelium. It's going to disrupt the mucosa. I mean, we know that the mucosa thins, you know, when when feed intake is lower and you have more sloughing of the villi. And so you have all of this disruption. And so it was interesting to me that just naturally in the pig, there is this high, what is it? It was about 30% of the mucosal microbiota was this proteobacteria or these pathogenic bacteria. And so it's easy to understand when you get that disruption. And then 
at weaning when you uh, when you then provide them a diet that's rich in lactose and rich in highly digestible, highly soluble proteins, why uh, some farms can struggle with post-weaning diarrhea and and the dysbiosis associated with this in the gut associated with stress. So, and then to come back and say, okay, now can we correlate this with with biomarkers? Are there measures of stress that are correlated with with survivability, with growth performance, and what's the correlation between these markers of stress and the not only performance but the measurements of gut health and of and of maintaining that homeostasis in the luminal and in the mucosal microbiota. I thought that was uh, that was a pretty interesting point to your work, and that's part of part of what you're doing. Is that it, it, did I misunderstand, or is that correct? Uh, Joe, you you um, gave a very good summary of that. I mean, it's also uh, I very much agree with what uh, your statement. Um, yeah, and this is what we. Uh, our work is focused on. We are, we are trying to uh, look at the changes of bacteria in the mucosa rather than lumen, because as you as you just mentioned, they are very different uh, populations. They are very different. Uh, they are, um, I mean, they are same bacteria, but their role is different. Uh, there's a bacteria um, with the digester. Uh, they are. I mean, if you look at consider the, those nursery feed, what do we have? We have a lot of lactose. Uh, also starch, now also, yeah, crystalline amino acid and so on. But some of them are highly digestible. But uh, those bacteria attached to uh, the digester, the feed particles, they are uh, a lot of more, majority of them are firmicutes. Those are mainly lactobacillus. Yeah, they still is uh, enriched with the lactobacillus in the case of nursery pigs uh, in their digester in the genome. Whereas in the jejunal mucosa, they are very different. The firmicute, which is mainly lactobacillus in this case, they are they are not the largest population. They are third, third still still big, but not compared with the luminal bacteria. It's very different, different kind of population. But um, there's a, a proteobacteria or bacteroidates. Those are the two major. Um, they are the very different one from the firmicute because firmicute is gram positive. Whereas proteobacteria and uh, bacteroidates, those are gram-negative. They are different types of bacteria. And as you just also mentioned, um, those, those bacteria uh, that we know as uh, potentially harmful, they belong, many of them, many of them belongs to proteobacteria. proteobacteria. So we, um, we can look at those numbers more carefully uh, if there are increase in proteobacteria in the mucosa or not. But those are those are um, natural. I mean, they there should be a balance in the mucosa. There is a good balance among proteobacteria, bacteroidates, and the formicutes and others, uh, actinobacteria, all, all those others are there living together, uh, not like in the digesta, uh, which is very much dominated by formicutes. It's a very different environment. Uh, so uh, we don't want to dis disrupt the those balance too much, but we are careful with not. We don't want to see the rapid increase in, uh, in the one one uh, phylum of the bacteria, especially proteobacteria, because there are more opportunity uh, for the pigs to have a harmful bacteria by that. Yeah. 
I, yeah. I think I talked too much about this. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that's I think that's exactly right. Is that uh, yeah? We want to maintain that homeostasis because you know, firm, uh, the firmicutes tend to be more of those, like you say, it's lactobacilli, it's the ruminococcus, some of the prevotellas, and those are all different bacteria families or um, that are associated with fermentation, with starch fermentation or with non-starch, you know, with NSP fermentation, but they're also ones that are known producers of short-chain fatty acids. And so then if you go back to the gut health issue and you look at leaky gut and tight junctions, obviously butyric acid, one of the short-chain fatty acids that these um, firmicutes provide is is very, very beneficial and essential to gut health and essential to helping that gut manage the transition at weaning. And so, yeah, it's interesting that in the, you know, that as we try to design systems and feeding programs around weaning that we want to support that that luminal not the not the luminal microbiota so much as we want to support that mucosal microbiota and reduce that disruption that occurs at weaning with that mucosal microbiota because as we reduce that disruption we then reduce the opportunity for those uh, proteobacteria family um, Yes. to to start to dominate and overwhelm the mucosal microbiota. Um, right. and it and it does take some time for the homeostasis to be reestablished and and the quicker you can reestablish it, then the better it is for the pig's overall health and well-being. Um, and like so that was microbiologist now. <laughs> yeah, you know, well I'm I'm learning. I'm learning. Yeah, so um, but this is so to me these are all very, very interesting things. So as we look at that and we look at these biomarkers that you've looked at, whether they've been cytokines, measures of oxidative stress, um, you know, looking in, when you look at the histology and looking at uh, the replacement rate of enterocytes and, and the proportion of new enterocytes versus older enterocytes, all of these kind of markers. The, the next thing you've kind of done is then is you've developed a challenge model where you have an F18 E. coli challenge model to help research and evaluate some of these topics. Where, where did that begin? How did how did you develop that, and and what does that model look like today? Okay, so thank you for the uh, mentioning that. Right. Um, so initially, our our study was looking at finding a nutritional intervention for the nursery pigs when they get uh, stressed stress from the weaning. From the weaning diet of, or environment, <clears throat> uh, but we started creating the more harsh condition. So, um, in 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 a controlled environment, so because they they could get a pathogenic challenges upon weaning, or they can get tox toxic compound from the diet, uh, but uh, sometimes it's not too too much. And we are trying to create a research environment to. To give a increased stress, either coming from uh, pathogens or from toxins. So we have been developing these two models. One is using uh, E. coli positive to F18, so we call F18 positive E. coli. Also, we've been using uh, mycotoxins uh, because those could be also another stressors through the feed. So uh, for the E. coli challenge model, 
Uh, it was not initiated from me, but I had very, um, very good intelligent colleague. Uh, his name is Dr. Chad Stahl. He's now uh, at the University of Maryland, but when he was at NC State, uh, now in the same department, uh, he introduced this like, uh, challenge model to me, and uh, we uh, uh, worked together and developed the model. Uh, and I've been using this collide challenge model for at least for uh, 15 different studies. And we know that uh, if we give the challenge of F18 positive E. coli to nursery pigs at their age at like 27 days of age or 28 days of age, which is around uh, six to seven days after weaning at day 21. And um, they start having a diarrhea right after giving the, the challenge. And um, but, but those pigs will recover very quick, uh, like six to seven days after the challenge, they will recover. So it is a very good model because uh, they respond, pigs respond um, respond to E. coli very quickly, and also they recover. So we don't necessarily kill them um, from the research, but we can because we can uh, continue feeding them. So we've been using this model for over time. And also we've been using the mycotoxins model um, with different types like aflatoxin or uh, mainly aflatoxin, deoxynivalenol and fumanicin. And we know uh, what level of this mycotoxin means to how much of reduction of feed intake and how is it related to the reduction of growth. So we've been using that model uh, as well. So those are the two two different models we've been using uh, in this series of, of projects. Okay, okay. So with those challenge models and with what you're learning about these different markers of intestinal health and the effects of nutrition on the jejunal microbiota, what what are you observing as you look at different nutritional factors? at weaning and the changes associated at weaning. Are there things that can be done nutritionally that improve the the resilience and the homeostasis of that mucosal microbiota? All right, okay. That's a uh, very important question. <laughs> I have to think how to answer that. <laughs> okay, I think, uh, yes, uh, I, had, I uh, was fortunate to have opportunity to provide different types of dietary interventions. So uh, I, I can, probably I can group into two. Uh, one group of dietary interventions, you know, feed additives, which can immediately affect the pig's intestine versus another group of uh, feed additives, which um, eventually the outcome may be similar, but it sometimes some good, these types of feed additive, it takes longer time. Um, to slowly affect the uh, intestine, and then the outcome will be the same, but it, it has more chronic effect rather than more immediate effect. So the example of the first group is, as you know, the antibiotics. We use antibiotics uh, in the studies uh, as a positive control, and it's very, yeah, not all the time, but that is one of the best uh, feed additives, I can see that we have immediate um, changes of the microorganisms, and uh, we can also see a very good response to uh, changing the uh, parameters that we measure uh, to look at the intestinal health. But then uh, some others, like uh, similar but not same, 
but like a phytogenics or or um, those uh, bioactive compound from specific uh, organism or plant. So those include that can include from the big ones that can include like a herbal herbal plant, or it can be like yeast. Or it can be as small as bacteria, some compound extracted from the bacteria, yeast, or even a big plant. Okay? They have they're more like they have a more immediate uh, reaction to to the intestinal mucosa, and we see more more rapid uh, reaction. Whereas, like uh, probiotics or prebiotics or um, like uh, enzymes, uh, I can see that it takes a little longer time for them to show some meaningful changes. So uh, it was interesting, interesting to me to see uh, they they may have a different outcome, maybe similar. They have a different mechanisms. It's not any secret; everyone knows, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and the reason, one of the reasons that I asked that question is, is that I've had these had these thoughts, and and it was part of a recent conversation I had with another researcher, but. The idea that we're and and your work I think is helping with this, but nutritionally we're evolving towards a an understanding of the microbiota and the interplay with the different aspects of the microbiota throughout the gut of the pig, such that the time I can see the time coming where we've got biomarkers developed where we will recommend different functional feed ingredients, whether it's different prebiotics, different strains of bacteria, different strains of yeast, uh, whether we recommend different prebiotics, whether they're mannoses or fructooligosaccharides or other prebiotics. Um, you look at the level of functional proteins in the diet and, and all of these things can... Um, it, so I, I guess what I'm saying is, is I can see the day where the weaned pig nutrition especially becomes very prescriptive um, as we understand the the interplay between the microbiota and the host and the nutrition much, much better. Because one of the criticisms, and I think it's a justifiable criticism that has been levied against the prebiotic and probiotic feed suppliers, um, and, and Filio is part of that, is that we have in the past been a little bit too broad brushed or or broad uh, in our recommendations, and that uh, that that as we get better at understanding the microbiota and the interplay between the microbiota and the pig, and the other aspects of the uh, respiratory and reproduction and genetics, all of these things, we will get much much better at defining. Um, the 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 proper nutrition for that herd. So. Yes, yeah, we think about so uh, we can think about twenty years ago. Uh, yep, the knowledge that we had in swine nutrition ten years ago, and now I don't know if you agree. I think it's different. Of course, science is all great, but uh, we have a I think more better understanding about so we can explain explain things better than before. So yeah. Um, this uh, this all um, the contribution from 
uh, from the our allied industry, scientists from the industry at the school or also all different places. I think it's very good. Yeah. yeah, and that I so that's what makes me excited. Really, it, it makes me excited as a as a swine nutritionist is this idea of where we're going in the next couple of decades with microbiome research and the application of that work. Right now, we're still trying to understand what it what it is and what it looks like. And, and you know, and then the next steps that I see people starting to make is they're starting to make application of this information. But we're just on the threshold of some pretty exciting discoveries and developments, I, I feel. So, um, with that in mind, as you look at uh, biomarkers uh, within your research and what you think about in the future, are there biomarkers today that are of interest to you that you think have value um, for people trying to look for biomarkers of intestinal health, of piglet health and performance? And are there biomarkers in the future that you say, uh, these are these are some of the others that we think have promise. Mm, okay, yep, those are very good question. And also, I get a lot of challenges because of my comments on that. <laughs> and um, all those research that we've been conducting, uh, we, we get samples after euthanizing pigs. So we are we are doing a very invasive way um, to take samples and measure those cytokines and oxidative damage products and immunoglobulins and so on in the jejunal mucosa or jejunal tissue. We have to kill the pigs. Um, so I get a lot of challenges. It's, it's not practical. And do you have anything uh, from the serum blood, from the blood collection or the fecal samples? Um, yeah, I, I think uh, if we have a very meaningful, strong biomarkers from the blood or fecal samples, I think it's really good. Uh, just with uh, my limited experience, when we initiate this work, we, we started with uh, collecting all those together, serum samples and fecal samples, and, and also digesta and uh, mucosal tissue and so on. Uh, initially, we were looking at all those, but we started get reading of a lot of measurement because it was very hard to see the uh, good, meaningful correlations between uh, some markers uh, with the uh, with the parameters we wanted to correlate, like gross performance and so on. So, for example, uh, those markers measurement that I've been doing uh, using the serum samples. Uh, those are if we if we if we think that uh, all the stress directly come to the intestine, what you see in the blood is the collection of all other factors uh, coming from the intestine or can be from the muscle or everywhere. So uh, anything we see in the blood is very much diluted compared with uh, uh, this measurement from the targeted uh, tissue, which is in my case is intestine. I think that's why I was not too successful finding. Uh, good biomarkers from the serum or or the fecal samples, uh, but just for me, we're using this very invasive uh, way, um, uh, looking at those um, measurement in the jejunal mucosa, still provide me the most meaningful outcome. So, uh, for me, uh, I think we have to look at the targeting the tissue, targeting tissue, the uh, 
target, which is the, in my case is the genome uh, of the small intestine. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, I I thought maybe there was. I know that some of your work that you had shared with us recently um, that you had some that had some positive correlations, um, but but as you said, you know maybe the correlation between serum uh, blood sampling and and what's going on in the gut, uh, as you say, it's it maybe the response is diluted enough across the different organ systems in the body that it's hard to track right now. Um, if people wanted to learn more about the work that you're doing with the mucosal microbiota and and the applications of that or considerations of that where where would you recommend that they that they go is there are there some some documents that you would recommend that they would that they should pursue or how can they reach you okay uh, i think uh, yeah thank you for providing providing me that opportunity um, if you allow me, I can uh, make a, just a, a small uh, document, half-page document with a source of these references that uh, as an outcome of my recent research. So there will be, um, I think at this moment, just published papers are the, uh, the best source that you can see what uh, I've been uh, talking about today. So I don't have a book chapters or... Uh, really, sure. yeah, thorough um, writing yet. And and if they need to reach you by email, what's a what's a good email address to reach you at? Mm, yeah, that's my uh, the work email, which is uh, songu underscore kim at ncsu.com. Uh, yeah, as you see, as you will see in the next uh, screen. Okay. Okay. Very good. And then one thing, one final note for our listeners. Um, if they are interested in seeing some of this research in a presentation format, they can go to filio-microbiota-days.com. And Dr. Kim was one of our guest speakers at that worldwide event and does a very nice job of going through a lot of the information that we covered today just in our conversation. Dr. Kim, thank you so much for your time today and for your expertise. Uh, really appreciate uh, this opportunity to share this with our listeners. Dr. Love Miller, thank you for your kind of invitation. It was a very good opportunity for me to have this a chance. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today. For additional information on Filio's swine programs, products, and recommendations, and research data regarding our work with the microbiome, animal performance, and well-being, please visit our website at filio-lasaf.com. Keep listening to future podcasts to learn more about the pig microbiome and research frontiers with gut physiology and the microbiome, or reach out to us directly through the website. Thank you, and have a great day.